there's this big thing between dealing with and healing, right? And I think this was dealing was the year before for me. And then healing was this last year, you know, I got on yeah. medication, you know, I really started therapy and stuff. So I, I, you know, I really focused more on my mental health than anything and kind of cut through the bullshit that was distracting me, you know, which I think mm. a lot of us went through. And that's something that you, the dealing versus healing, I think that's something that's really big in your work in general. Yeah, definitely. And that's such a good way to juxtapose it, dealing versus healing, because I think, I mean, even when I think back to my own journey, like I was dealing with it by running away from it <laughs> and, and it wasn't really productive. But um, once I just started building up that ability to be radically honest, then that's when all the magic really started happening. You're invited to a dinner party with Jeremy Fall. Yeah. You're invited to a dinner party Come on, come on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I feel like also there's, you know, the sense of community that has really risen in the last year, feeling that there's been somewhat of like a societal equality, this whole this whole thing that we've tried to collectively fight together. And and you've you've really seen this very primal instinct of survival that we hadn't seen in a while. I feel like, especially in the US, where all of a sudden you're checking on your friends, make sure they have toilet paper. Like those are things that no matter what, what societal, uh, you know, level you're at, like there was something that we all went together. It was the word, like all these words, like furlough, you know, toilet paper, all these like key words that are almost triggering at at this point. Um, It was interesting to see that just happen overnight. Right. I mean, it was huge, man. I was, I was in New York city um, when the pandemic broke in the United States. And um, I was there for that whole like March to April period where, you know, basically like overnight, you know, like it, it felt like over, but it was so quick where 24,000 people just died in the city. So things became really scarce. I remember the, all the tense energy in the supermarkets when we would go in there and, um, you know, nobody really knew how to properly take care of themselves. Nobody knew about wearing double masks or anything like that. But, and it started getting to the point where every time I would talk to a friend, you know, somebody knew somebody who had passed away like either a coworker or a family member. And um, it just was, you know, it altered how, how we used to just take things for granted, right? Like everything was sort of set up, like you, you, you could always kind of depend on the supermarket, but then all of a sudden there's really barely anything there. It's like barely half full. And I think that was just a real wake up call to like, how can we better organize our society? How can we actually have like adequate healthcare? How can we treat each other well? How can we treat ourselves well? Well, Like, how am I doing spending time alone? No, absolutely. And I mean, for me, that that period from January to March is like award season, actually even transcends to April. So I feel like that's the part of the year that is generally the most like superficial, I would say of my year. Like you're just <laughs> off the holidays, you go back into it. It's like, you're stressing out about outfits and calendars and all this shit. And it's just like, it was such a weird wake up call to when you have these things in your calendar and you have these plans, you have these ideas and all these things that were so conditioned to work on and all of a sudden they're all gone. You start to think like, wait, is everything really that disposable in, in an instant? You know? And I think that methodology is something that's going to stick with me forever. Now where I'm just like, it's not even taking it for granted. I did that too, but it's a lot of it is just the lack of permanence of things and how fragile everything is overall, you know? And, and also how, know, just like the little things that we used to really not even think about. And I guess take for granted are so huge. Now, like just being able to 
go to the supermarket has become yeah, yeah. a different, you know, everything. And, and what I, what I do like about the, that sense of community that we've built is you've seen so many extraordinary things happen in the last year in terms of how people are coming together, things I never thought would happen. The rise of digital has been fascinating. I feel like for you with, with your Instagram and, and I think that must've been an amazing time for you in terms of how many people you were able to help. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. I mean, I think the lessons became really, really clear. Like you hit on probably the biggest one is accepting and embracing the reality of impermanence. It's like everything that arises will eventually pass away. And then that just became such a clear point where you can ask yourself, you know, if you're being introspective, like, am I actually embracing impermanence? And if I'm not, am I realizing how much tension this is causing me when I keep trying to fight the reality that change is going to happen at some point or another? But um, yeah, it was a big shift. I mean, in the beginning, it was interesting because everybody went online at the same time. And immediately what I noticed was for the first like two months of the pandemic, there was a big slowdown because everybody was kind of like taking everything in. People are spending way too much time on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So there was a bit of that like exhaustion until people were able to, you know, get a sense of like organization in the new way of living because most people are not at work anymore. They're, you know, working from home and figuring out all these new routines, how to like coexist with their partners or family members or roommates 24 seven. So it was a big shift. What I personally did was like, I just got into a serious writing phase where I really just challenged myself. Like, let me just, you know, what am I learning? What am I, especially with my relationship? Because now my wife and I, we were spending all of our time together. And I was like, all right, like we've been together for a long time. We've been together for about 14 years. Like what have we learned that um, has helped us, you know, we, and we met really young. We met, I was uh, 19 and she was 18. Um, but over this time, like we've had such immense ups and downs. And especially since that point, when we started meditating, there was such a big shift in our relationship. And during this like pandemic era, it was like, okay, well, what lessons have we learned that are helping us develop, you know, a, a decent harmony between the two of us? So you, so basically you started you weren't meditating before the pandemic with in your relationship, right? That started during the pandemic. That's something that you developed. No, no. So I, yeah, I started meditating, um, much earlier. Like the, the first Vipassana course I did was in 2012, but, um, but because we've been in a relationship for so long, there was like the era where my wife and I were together before we started meditating, which was really chaotic. And then there was the era like after we started meditating, which over time, you know, there was just a greater sense of love, a greater sense of harmony, and just like much more selflessness. We were both able to support each other a lot better, but all those lessons really culminated and appeared clearly during the pandemic. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like a lot of the things we used to even know weren't even highlighted, right. Until we removed this kind of cloud that was above everything that, you know, to bring things to the surface. So when you were younger, you had, you were so I think we have the similar thing where we were, you were more in like a parting phase and kind of taking yeah. things for granted. And so, right. So yeah, I yeah, feel like yeah, for sure. we we're similar in that sense. <laughs> what was your, what was your transition you'd say into now? Cause obviously it feels like you're the polar opposite of that talking yeah. to you now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not partying anymore. The party's over. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, no, it was for the best. Uh, I was like heading in this is terrible direction. Like I was really dominated by sadness and anxiety and that had kind of a, you know, predated my time in college. But then it really, when I got to college, it just became so much worse. And I developed these really nasty patterns. And uh, the, the way that I would run away from myself was to put all my energy into running into pleasure. 
So that became, you know, it was either like through, you know, eating way too much or drinking way too much or smoking way too much or, you know, spending way too much time with friends to the point where I wasn't doing my schoolwork the way I should have been. And um, this just like ended up multiplying over time so that I ended up getting all these like really harsh results. Like I became really unhealthy. I um, wasn't making the best use of my time while I was in college. My relationships were all sort of superficial because I didn't know myself well and I wasn't taking time to know myself. And that all just kind of came into a crashing halt after I graduated. It was like the summer of 2011 when I was just like using way too many drugs and um, basically almost like died pretty young. And, and you were with your wife, uh, your now wife yeah, during yeah, this she, period, right? Yeah, yeah so she, she saw you. Back then. Yeah, so she saw you through this whole process. Yeah, she was part of the storm too. <laughs> right, well, of course. And and backing up before that, how's your how's your upbringing, like relationship with your parents and family life? Um, so my upbringing was it was interesting. You know, there was like these really po- really big positives and really big negatives. So the, the big positive was that parent. My parents are great. They're very moral people. Um, we were born. I, well, we were all born in Ecuador, and then my parents decided to move us here to the United States when I was about four years old. But the big like negative, the big difficulty. And I would say that my number one sort of challenge in terms of like deconditioning my mind was um, like, we grew up really poor. And that poverty um, that we experienced put so much structural pressure on my family, where, you know, my, my parents, they loved each other really well. But then, because there was such a struggle for money, um, they were just constantly stressed out. And it just kind of created so much disharmony in our home that we all had to experience. But, um, as we became older, you know, when my brother and I both started working it like released a bit of the tension in the family, because we were able to collectively earn more money, the four of us. Um, and my little sister was born later too, but it was a, it was a big struggle, you know, just like being poor in America is no joke, man. It's incredibly difficult. And, um, and yeah, I, I was fortunate. Well, being an immigrant too, my parents are both immigrants as well. So I feel like there's also that aspect of it too, that especially like we're, what we're talking about, about 20 years ago now, that's 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that it was, a, it was different than it's been. I mean, it's, it was different five years ago. So yeah. I feel like that layered on top of it doesn't make it easy. I mean, the interesting thing to me too, is I, I know you talk a lot about the middle path. That's like your, that's one of your things, right? Choosing the middle path, having some challenge, but not an overwhelming amount of challenge. Right. Right. So to elaborate on that, it's like, it's kind of like a, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a happy medium. Right. And, and this is where we differ a little bit. Cause, and I'm interested to hear your perspective that, cause I'm always open to learning. You know, I grew up in a, in a very, I somewhat similar. I mean, I was born in LA, but immigrant parents, I, I grew up very broke. And so I always had high aspirations and and inspirations and whatnot. And in the beginning, my goal was to become the best, the best, the best, the best. Then I eventually transitioned to being my best before becoming the best. And that was a very life-changing, you know, like growing up in my ego and my personal life. The the thing about the middle for me is I suffer from anxiety disorder and, and depression, right? So, you know, obviously in coming with that, the highs are highs, the lows are lows. So I understand the leveling. However, I'm someone that gets anxiety from, from being in that comfort zone where it has to be a balance between the high and and the medium. And it's about walking the line, right. Without like surpassing it in any way. So how do, how does that work for you? Cause I'm really interested, obviously with how you've achieved your success and how you've managed to balance that in the middle. Yeah. I think that's one of the main things that I learned from meditating, especially the, in the technique that I um, practice in the 
it's called Vipassana um, as taught by SN Goenka. And the, the main, one of the main things you're learning is to cultivate a sense of equanimity, which is basically the ability to observe and not react. The ability to just, you know, you're not having any craving towards whatever's happening. You're not having any aversion towards it. You're just really taking it in. You're observing it as it is. And when I started realizing that my mind does have all these patterns, and then as I'm moving through life, I'm experiencing all these different situations. And my immediate reaction was, you know, anxiety and sadness was like to just like turn in. And then once I would turn in, I would run away into pleasure. Um, once that pattern became clear, it wasn't that I would try to like erase that pattern so much, but it was like, I would just try to be present with it. And when I was present with it, I would let it be whatever it is, but I just wouldn't react to it. You know? So this is like the, one of the main things that became pretty clear to me in the pandemic was you, you, one of the biggest ways to transform yourself isn't necessarily to like, you know, you're not going to be able to like erase all of the, you know, your memories or, or what happened in the past. But what you can do is you could respond to your present moment in a different way, because in your present moment, your past is also showing up in that present moment too, because that past is always kind of like roaring up and showing up in your reactions. How do you balance you know, accomplishments and yeah. goals and, and stay within that. That's right. I guess it's really yeah. interesting for me. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really tough. I mean, honestly, I felt the tie of like getting, you know, doing something and it was successful and then getting like pulled up by it. And then also doing something and it not being successful and getting pulled down by it. And when I started realizing how attached I was to results, I knew that whether it was a good result or a bad result, I I need to be able to have a little sense of distance and detachment from it so that I can just focus on working and creating as opposed to just being, you know, basically making my happiness dependent on this future outcome so that I'm always going to have this like delayed, you know, sense of like accomplishment as opposed to just like feeling it now because I'm able to show up in the present moment over and over again. So I, the way that I walk my personal middle path is like, let me do work. And if it's good, let me recognize that it's good. And if it is not good, let me recognize how I can do it better. But let me not have my happiness just like be pulled up and down by things that I can't control. Do you think you create for yourself or for other people? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, in the beginning, um, it was definitely more so creating for myself because I was trying to give words to like all these things that I was learning. And then uh, over time, I think I developed like a sense of being able to combine the two was like trying to understand where the audience was at and what topics would be important to people. And then trying to connect that to my own life and seeing, okay, what have I learned that actually connects with this moment? Like back in like 2014 and 2016, like one of the big topics was self-love. Like everybody was talking about that and it just kind of like exploded onto the internet. And I asked myself, you know, what is self-love? Like what is I, am I, am I applying it in my life? Is it something real? Is it something useful? And, um, and then I got to, you know, basically connect with my audience through that medium. I have, I have this whole thing where I always wonder, like, do I create for myself for other people? Cause if I created complete for other people, I'd be doing a lot of different things because a lot of things I've done have not been commercially viable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a balance there, but at the same time, if I go and direct this super esoteric movie and no one sees it, I'm going to yeah. be bummed. <laughs> You know yeah, I mean? and, yeah. and as someone who's a writer, writer, obviously writers for the most part dream of like New York times bestsellers and, and you, cause you want people to read your words. You're trying to speak to people, right? So having no one to speak to is kind of a bummer. 
right? Or right. I would assume, right. I would assume and I'm writing a book right now too, by the way. So that's kind of something I've been thinking about. It's extremely personal. So I don't want to, to edit the creative, but at the same time, there is a certain discipline structure that needs to go into it for it to reach different eyeballs. So how, how do you balance <laughs> that? Especially when you're writing a book that is meant to help people without yeah, discrediting yeah. your own creative. How do you, I'm interested. I, in honestly, one of the, one of the, like one of the people that I respect the most is the Buddha. And one of his superpowers was his ability to meet people where they're at. And I think that's like one of my personal approaches is I'm going to try to see where my audience is and I'm going to speak in a way where, you know, I am being honoring my authenticity, but also able to connect with this individual. And that's not something I also do with writing, but I try to bring that approach to like all aspects of my life where let, let, let me meet someone where they're at so we can connect somewhere in the middle. And then especially in regards to writing, once we connect in the middle, I can then bring sort of like that deeper aspect, like what I actually think is important. And in terms of writing, it's like you want to gain your audience's confidence. So first, like, let me, you know, be able to do that mixture of like what's works for the both of us. And then after that, I can give you like, you know, some, some thought that maybe that I think is really important, but maybe really challenging for you but it's still worth reflecting on. And that's the, the Vipassana meditation, right? The, the seeing things as they really are, right? That's where that comes in is being able to, to stay kind of true throughout the whole process and not try to overlook like what the goal is and whatnot. It's just staying at that same level. Yeah. I mean, at its fundamental, you know, cause like Vipassana isn't like an intellectual technique. It's very much like in the body, you're observing reality within the body, but that, but literally it's a path of awareness where like you're being aware every moment and every moment you're taking reality in as it is without changing it, without projecting onto it, um, by literally just doing your best to observe. But, um, but I think that approach from practicing that on a daily basis, it's helped me kind of like reformat the way I interact with my relationships. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you've somewhat created your own style, right? Inspired by different things in your personal experiences, it kind of seems like you've found a way to somewhat package these together, apply them to your life. And then now you're trying to teach them, right? Cause I've, I've not seen many people that can express this so well on social media, especially on Instagram photos of texts usually do very horribly. And that's what really interested me. I was like, <laughs> this guy's managed to captivate people without video being the main thing. Right. Cause everyone always says like, like what you're doing is technically in, in modern terms, like very behind what everyone else is doing with like this overloaded video, yet your uh, photos do so unbelievable well. And that's how, I, I mean, that's how I found you. It was just, you know, I had friends that would keep sending me your words. And I was like, this is really fascinating. This is someone, and especially someone who's going through therapy. I was like, this is someone who's managing to say so much in very few words, which I find is an insanely, you know, insanely rare gift. I say that in a total honesty, you are like the deeper version of Twitter in a more, <laughs> in, a, in a much more deeper way. So I've, I've, I really wonder how that process came to be. Cause I feel like as a writer, like what you want to do is write novels, right. And, and speak and speak and speak. How do you condense that? You know, from the moment that I started writing and I decided like, okay, I'm going to take this writing thing seriously. I, I decided a few things. One was I, I didn't want to position myself as a teacher. I wanted to position myself as someone who's also on the journey. I want to be able to share reflective things that I'm currently understanding and that I find valuable, but I'm not like lining out a path for anyone to follow. And I also have like, you know, like even like my followers, like 
right? I don't think of them as followers. They're, they're an audience. They're like just this, this group of people that, you know, we have this like back and forth happening. But one of my main inspirations has always been minimalism. And I wanted to bring that into writing because I just find it, not only is it more elegant to have less words, but it's just so much easier to understand. And also like I understood my medium. Like I, I knew that at the time, like when I really took it seriously, it was like 2014, 2015 when I started and everybody was on Instagram. And I knew that if I wrote a book and tried to give it to a publisher, they would not take it at all. So I thought, okay, let me share bits and pieces of my writing and see how it does online. If I build an audience, I could self-publish a book. And then maybe after that, I could get a deal. And that's exactly what ended up happening. So what I did was you know, combine my own experiences and not just through meditating, but really through like through life in general and also through activism, because that was like the main sort of inspiration in my life when I was growing up in Boston was all of like most of my work experience has been like in different nonprofits where we were trying to like make material changes in people's lives. Um, and being able to combine those like that internal love and that external love into something that helps the transformation of the individual in the hopes that that will one day help transform society. That was all kind of what pushed it all. And just like wrapping all of that inside minimalism. And, you know, I would write pieces and then spend a lot of time just chopping words out because I'm like, how can this become clearer and clearer? And then we ended up getting a good recipe. No, I mean, and, and obviously it's working. I, I guess with that, I'm interested in how you, cause you're big into silent practice and the balance of silence, right? How do you, cause it's paradoxical, right? With, with speaking and writing, how do you balance the two and you know, where it's, how do you know what the, the correct balance is and when you're expressing it through your medium, like knowing when to be silent? Um, I, you know, I, I try to really strictly follow my intuition. And so like, even if I'm writing something, you can kind of, and Rick Rubin talks about this too. You can kind of like feel that click, you know, cause you can keep, you can edit a piece forever. And I'm sure you know yourself, like you can like change a recipe or like you just keep modifying it over and over. At some point you got to be like, you just got to call it. I'm getting better at like feeling when creativity is actually there. Like this morning, like I, I didn't write anything really new for I think like three days. And then this morning I woke up, I was meditating at the end of the, I meditate an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. At the end of the one hour meditation session, I could just feel that little, like that little piece of very subtle energy that wants to create something. So, you know, I went downstairs and just started writing and I ended up writing something that was okay. It was pretty good. But being able to like be in touch with yourself on that level, like it took a long time to, to really cultivate that sense of awareness. And, you know, I always, it's not perfect. It's still like a working, changing system, but I try to try my best to just be in touch. And I, you know, I go away to, I go away to retreats pretty often and I meditate not to be more creative, but I meditate for my freedom, for my, like, for my mental wellness so that I can have a clearer, more loving mind. But the byproduct of that is having more creativity. So, um, I get to benefit from those periods of silence where I do nothing. I post nothing. Cause when I go away to these silent courses, I'm totally offline. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't even have access to the internet. I don't, I don't even have my own phone on me. Um, you're just like totally an individual separate from technology. No, of course. I mean, I think it's, you know, I have, I struggle with the same thing with creativity is that anytime I create something, I, I am a, I'm big on peeling layers one after yeah. the other. And I feel like there's always layers to peel and you just, I think part of being creative and mastering your craft is knowing when to stop peeling them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that's really hard. I don't know if that's something that I'll ever really learn, you know, and sometimes no, it's yeah. just, 
it's something that just, I feel like that sticks throughout any creative process. It's just, you're always trying to achieve excellence and perfection. And, and because it, it is meaningful to you to achieve that, but it is difficult. My question to you is you're, you're, you're an activist as well. So how do you balance the activism, which is the more, you know, obviously extroverted mm-hmm. sort of practice being intro because you're very paradoxical in a lot of ways. It, it works like it all makes sense together. But like on paper, like this guy's a, a silent activist who writes <laughs> and doesn't speak. It's like it's like all these different, you know, so how does that fall into place? Like, how does that all intertwine? I take it all. I take it all momentarily. You know, I like I'm at the very moment, I wouldn't say that I'm an activist. Like I'm not actually part of any campaign. I'm not actively organizing with a group. Um, I think though the term activism or like activists in general has become like very loose and, amor- and amorphous. Um, but my roots are in activism. Like that's where I used to spend all my time. I was part of this amazing group called Boston Youth Organizing Project and another one called um, Youth Against Mass Incarceration, where like I did so much of my learning there. Like I learned so much from, you know, how people could collectively come around a particular cause and make real change. But then over time, you know, I was able to see a lot of successes in activism, like the groups that I was part of, they were really powerful and we would, we would win. We would win often our campaigns. But what sort of drew me into this like internal dynamic was that I, um, I still wasn't feeling better inside of myself. So I would feel that joy of, okay, like we actually, you know, change a particular situation. We won this campaign that we've been working on for a year. But at the end of the day, I'm still dealing with like all of my fears, all of my anxieties, all of my sadness, and all these like bad patterns that I'm developing and are becoming more, more um, sort of like controlling over my actions. So when I, you know, got a bit older and started realizing, okay, I need to do something about this. And I was introduced to meditating. That just like was a big game changer because I always understood the aspect of external liberation, right? The world that we have is a lot better than the world that was 200 years ago. But this world can be, you know, the, one, the world that we have right now can be so much more peaceful, so much more, it can ha- you know, we could do such a better job sharing, such a better job not harming each other. We can do such a better job just really respecting and supporting each other's humanity. And if you don't have that bridge strongly built within yourself of, sort of internal and external liberation, like having that compassion for other people and having that compassion for yourself, then you're sort of bound to have some pretty like, you know, some, some internal difficulty. Cause like, you can't be selfish about your self-love, right? You can't be selfish about like, oh, I'm just going to work on myself. I'm not going to worry about anybody else. Well, if you do that, then there, there's like a bit of narcissism in that that you're going to have to deal with or come to terms with at some point. And if you're only supporting movements outside of yourself, and trying to help other people, then at some point you're going to run out of gas and you're going to hit the wall. You know, hundred percent. I, I always, I always tell people that where I'm like, you know, there's this big thing with being selfish. That's like, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Give, 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 give. Obviously that is, you, you should be giving, but I think what's lost in context is that that is assuming that you are comfortable with yourself and happy with yourself to a certain extent, because if you're battling, you're running to be external and then internal and stuff, that's when you're never going to find, you know, happiness or that happy medium in general. And I see this a lot with like friends of mine or people in relationships that like give, give, give to the other person and then they lose themselves and then they resent that relationship. Then they become insanely selfish. And then that other person 
and it's it's an interesting thing because we're so taught to not be selfish but i feel like there's a bit of healthy selfishness in there that is necessary to a certain extent doing things for yourself and maybe it's not called being selfish but there is a, a lot of that that i feel like is completely lost in modern society and i think during the pandemic it's something that really emerged because especially for those who were alone like it was you know, the amount of people that I was FaceTiming with, I'm a bit of like the therapist in my group of friends, <laughs> which I, I have a feeling you are as well. You know, I, I was, I was struggling that and struggling a little bit with like helping people. It's like, you know, it's very draining emotionally. And then, you know, I've always been the one in my group that everyone thinks has the shit together. And to a certain extent, that's very debatable. But when you're that person helping the others, you also don't want to be the one that's like, oh, I can't tell them that something's wrong because they come to me because I'm not as a shit together. If I don't, who's going to help them. And then you, you yeah, turn into yeah. this internal struggle. And I, have you gone through something like that where just, it sucks the, like the living being out of you after a while. Yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely gone through moments like that. And I think even through like, I think, so I just, I just finished a 30 day meditation course that was totally silent. But before that, I was like really dealing with some burnout. Like I was so burnt out and I became so like, um, I just needed to like really just be alone, you know, just like with me and my wife and be able to focus on the work that I was doing. And I created a, not the best situation where like, I just signed up to do too many things and I was like exhausted through and through. Um, but when I was able to go to this like 30 day course and just meditate you know it had been like two years since i had done a, a course that long because the pandemic like sort of switched the schedule on me and everything um, i was able to really see like okay i have made a lot of progress because even in that moment where i was feeling burnt out i um didn't have a lot of time for other people i still you know if i examined myself how I was then and how I would have been six years ago before that. And if I was in a particular situation, I would have been a mess, like a massive mess. So one, I was able to like, okay, appreciate that I was having a hard time and I was dealing with that hard time way better than I could have if it was an older version of myself. Um, but I, I definitely feel you, man. I feel like um, I enjoy being other people's support, but that's one thing where my wife and I have been able to like develop a really good um, system between the two of us where we're just like brutally honest with each other about how we feel as individuals. So like, you know, she wakes up and she's like, I'm angry and it has nothing to do with you, but I'm just angry and you, and you should know that. So like, be careful <laughs> like around me, you know, cause like I, cause it's so easy to take something that is totally unrelated and just try to make it that person's fault. Well, even though they had nothing to do with it. So we are just like really, you know, in touch with each other to the point where I don't know, we can be ourselves, you know, deal and embrace deal with and embrace the, uh, the down moments and not fall into those extremes. One thing I wanted to mention what, what you were talking about before that I thought was so well said was like, people are just bouncing between extremes, right? Like you will either like really hate something or really love something and just like flow between the two and have no middle. And I think that's one of the like major difficulties that are like our current generation, like those of us who are alive now, like that's, that's one thing we struggle with is like, there's just no balance. Like how can you constantly be flowing between love and hate? And in the middle of those two, like there's observation, there's ability to actually perceive something clearly. But if I'm just jumping from one end uh, to another end of the spectrum, like I'm not going to be able to really understand reality at all. 
And it's interesting because I feel like even in, in the way we speak, right? Like when you hear people talk, they're like, oh, I'm obsessed with this. I hate this. Yeah. And yeah. No one's, no one's ever like, I like this, or I'm, I have no opinion on this. Like it's always, I'm obsessed or I hate. Like, and sometimes, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm part of the problem too. I'm not the one that's, I'm not super. Uh, same, grand, same. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, dude, I saw this movie. I hated this movie. Like, it's almost like, like it was, you're so compelled to express how much you dislike it, or I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> and then, but when you look at it, it is okay to sometimes just like something or dislike something or be yeah, in the middle yeah. of being different or, or not need to necessarily express. And I'm someone who's highly opinionated. So I feel the need to express my opinions all the time, which I feel like sometimes they're not, they're not asked for. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's, it's this interesting dichotomy that we, that we live in, right. Where everything is so, you know, so extreme. And even when the pandemic hit, I mean, like I really compared it to the stages of grieving. Like in the beginning, I was just like, no, fuck this. Like, this is like, no, like I was rejecting it. And then I was like negotiating and I don't even remember the exact order, but like <laughs> negotiating. I'm like, okay, if I stay in two weeks, then I can go to this concert. And then it was like a constant negotiation. And then it was like, oh man, this is what's actually happened. And then it's like, you go through this whole grieving process and it was so fast, but I would say that's the thing that's neutralized me the most. And as has medication is being able to be like, you know what, like, we'll see. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, there's this constant thing that, I, that I've that i been practicing now that is so new to me of we'll see and we'll figure it out. Having anxiety disorder, there is no such thing. And I really think medication and therapy for all that. But it's just this really, like, satisfying feeling. The first time I felt it, it was, it took 30 years for me to feel this. And I had never thought that it was possible. It completely changed my life. Being able to be like, this is, I had something that was, like, really tough that I would have destroyed me a year yeah. or two ago. And yeah. I was just like, we'll see, like we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then it was this life-changing moment where I was like, holy shit. And then I was fine, you know? And then I look back at it now and there's, it's, it's hard to get there and it's not like permanent, right? You have to, you have to never forget that it's there. But what I find really interesting is, and i never thought this until you said it was, I really wonder how, you know, five year ago, me would have dealt with the pandemic. I never really thought of that. I was really about the moment I dealing with it today, but like, there was such a sensitive time frame there where this could have easily happened five years ago or three years ago or five years from now. Like <laughs> it would have been bad. It would have been bad, man. If, I, if the pandemic it would been hit. really bad Yeah. for, I think for everyone, like, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I can speak for myself and, and you, you seem to agree with me as well, but I feel like five years ago where the world was, I think it would have been even worse. I mean, you could argue that we would have a different president and that's neither here nor there. But other than that, like, I feel like it was, that would have been, even, even worse. And with the fact that we have such a strong digital infrastructure now, you know, made world travel and be able to like communicate with so many people so quickly about health and all these things was incredible. But thinking about it even longer than the fires, like growing up when I was a kid, like the internet just started, we didn't have social media. Like that came yeah, later. Yeah. I can't imagine what we would have gone through in that scenario. Like there would have been a lot more deaths you know, or interesting enough, I wonder how people would have just dealt with it in general. Cause I was very young, but you know, I, I went through the, like the 92 Rodney King rights. I was very, very young. And then we had the 94 earthquake here. And I, and I remember, I actually remember the earthquake very well in those four going and having limited like toilet paper and all these things. And it's something, obviously it was more micro cause it was, it just hit LA and, and we didn't have this whole world um, connection with it. But I remember thinking, oh, wow, I'm never going to have to go through that again. That was so crazy. And I was young, you know, and I, yeah. but I still remember. And then when it happened again, I remember talking to my mom being like, holy shit, like 
this is it's back. Like the things are so fragile. Like I thought that was a fluke, but like this can happen again. And now it's much worse. People are actually dying. More people are dying, you know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, civilization seems so firm, but if enough things rocket at the same time, it's, it's all very precarious. Like, um, the, yeah, just what everything is resting on this foundation that's been created over the last few hundred years. It, um, it can, it needs continued evolution. Like it needs more like embrace of complexity so that we can better take care of each other and better support each other as human beings, just accept people for who they are, make sure their material needs are met and then allow everyone the freedom that they need. Um, but it's, it's just interesting, man, because change is just everywhere. You know, one thing that you said that really struck me, it reminds me a lot of what, um, my meditation teacher, S. Nguyenka has said, he was like, when you're feeling some type of intensity, like in regards to something serious going on, um, you know, you don't, he doesn't want you to suppress it. He does. He also says you don't need to express it. He's like, find the middle path and just observe it. And when you were talking about that difficult situation that you went through and how you were able to just like take it in and be like, okay, this is happening right now, but you didn't have that intense reaction and you were just able to let it be what it was like, that's that to me, like that's emotional maturity. That's that big sort of like leap forward that a lot of people are looking for in their own personal transformation. And I, I, you know, to me, that's how, that's how I measure progress in my real life is like, cause like, dude, the ups and downs are not going to go away. Like change is going to continue happening. People will continue, you know, like loved ones pass away, you know, good things end. Like these things are bound to happen in life. And we shouldn't be like, you know, necessarily like petrified by that reality because that's what life is. Life is this like moving bridge that arises and passes away. But understanding that, yes, these things will come, but then how am I going to react to them? How am I going to show up in these moments? And like, how can I not only support myself, but like be something firm that other people can lean on as well? Yeah, and and I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I'm curious what your stance on medication is. Oh, oh man, I think, you know, all the power to you, man, because what I really encourage people is to find the thing that meets them where they're at right? Like what we mentioned before. And that's going to be really different because everybody has a very different emotional history. No one has the same conditioning, even though the structures of our minds are sort of similar, the contents of our minds are way different, right? Like you've gone through a way different life than I have. So I can't like, even like, right. I meditate, I meditate two hours a day, but I'm not going to go telling other people like, this is what you need to do. It's like, no, you do it if it feels intuitively correct. And if you feel so inclined for sure. But if you need to see a therapist, if you need to see a psychiatrist, if you need some type of help from Western medicine, or you need some type of like Eastern practice, you know, like there's so many things out there. And that's what's special about this time that we live in is there are a lot of ways for you to heal yourself. And there are a lot of ways for you to receive immediate support. And like, dude, medication is what you needed. That's what you needed. You know? And I appreciate that because I feel I've gotten so much judgment in the past with people, and I'm not generalizing, but a lot of people who meditate find it to be like the heal all for everybody. And I'm glad that it works for them. But you know what I mean? I've gotten a lot of that where they're like, dude, have you just tried meditating? And I'm like, no, yeah, no, for, but med- medication works for me. They're like, yeah, dude, you got to just do meditation. And I'm like, why? I've gotten a lot of judgment in a, in a weird yeah. way. So I, yeah. I was curious. And there's, the, there is this odd, there's still a stigma around medication, obviously, which I find interesting because if someone has a cold, they will take 5,000 <laughs> things from CVS. But yeah, then- yeah, yeah it's something that's in their brains that they literally is constantly there and, and they, they like 
run away from medication. I've always found it to be super interesting, but no, it's, it's, it makes me happy to hear that that really resonates with me because I always thought, you know, it was something that wasn't accepted and it's, and it's, and it's better now, uh, especially in men. That's something that growing up mental right. health in men, like where I grew up, like you could not be anything but angry or neutral. Like there was no other emotion possible. It didn't exist. I think it's interesting. Cause like ultimately whatever helps you make better decisions is something that's actually helping you heal. Right. Especially if it's not harming anyone else and it's not harming yourself and it's helping you make better decisions, then you're probably going in the right direction. But that's, that's one thing that, you know, we're still kind of growing into is like, and, in, and this is like all parts of wellness, right? Cause like, there's a lot of people who don't meditate, who do other techniques, but a lot of people cross this like threshold where they found something that has helped them. And they're like, Oh, this is it. Like, everybody's got to try this. This is for everybody. But it's like, I mean, it might work for you and it fits your conditioning and that's very well and good, you know, benefit from that, keep using it. But that's not necessarily going to fit like all of my friends or all of my family members because we're just all in very different places. And to me, it's, you know, there's a reason why the world is globalized now, right? You have access to like basically a lot of the best things that so many different cultures have created. So navigate yourself through that, you know, like use the internet, do your Google searches, what's going to help your anxiety. And the meditation is really powerful, but you know, you have to, you have to find what works for you. Yeah, no, it's, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's such a strange thing. And people are like, yeah, but aren't you afraid to like, then you're hooked and you're addicted. Like what's going to happen. Then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to just keep taking it. They're like, well, what happens if you have to stop? And I'm like, what if I could just take it? Like, it's not like, I don't understand where there's this thing where like, once you're yeah. stuck, like you're fucked, like you could, I, if I need, it, I'll just keep taking it. And right. if I don't, right then I'll just stop taking it. Like, it's such a weird thing. Like, even yeah. if, if you're addicted to something that like generally makes your life easier, I'm like, I'll sign up for that. Like, sure. I've also heard of a lot of people like, you know, once they are sort of like medication helps them stabilize themselves, then they start picking up practices that will help them cultivate their minds in different ways. So like, I don't know, to me, it's like, there's just so many entry points for you to like ignite and see through your personal transformation. So just start wherever you need to start. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, actually, it's funny because medication has made me more attracted to meditation because now that my anxiety isn't as horrific as it was, I'm like, oh, now I could probably, I'm less anxious to yeah. try it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what's your, what's your, and look, this is, I hate when people ask me this question. So I really apologize in advance, but what is, do you have an end goal? Like, what is your dream? Do you have a vision? Like, I'm just really interested to see where you're, cause you're, you're onto something huge. You're already doing it. I'm just curious where you see this going. That's really interesting, man. I think, um, my end goal is to make, to like, for the rest of my life, however long I may live is to make my progress in my personal freedom, the number one thing. And what I mean by personal freedom is to literally continue the process that helps me decrease the tension that I cause myself in my mind. So to me, that's like my personal healing, my personal freedom. Like that's what is the number one thing in my life. And everything else sort of stems from that. You know, my ability to love my wife well, my ability to love my parents well and my brothers and sisters and my friends and also writing. So one thing that I'm really trying to be careful with is that, yeah, writing has been great and it's been taking up a lot of my time in a very good way, but I don't want, um, I don't know. I don't want other things to get in the way of, of me focusing on this path of liberation that's given me so much. So first and foremost, I always see myself as a meditator. And then after that, I see myself as a writer and being able to balance the two, 
um, in a way where like, I understand what the real priority is. Like that to me is like at the core of the way I want to live my life. And I don't know if I'm always going to be a writer, but, um, but I do know that I will continue trying to do things that help people. So we'll see how that manifests in the future. Absolutely. Really more power to you, man. I really love everything you're doing. It's, it's really remarkable. Um, I, you know, I'd love to stay in touch. I'll definitely be continuing to follow you and everything. It's, it's really remarkable. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing everything. It's, it's, you're the first person you've, cause you're a poet as well. Like you're the first of your kind to be on this podcast. So I'm, you know, it's really exciting <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you so much, man. I hope we get to like, you know, after the pandemic, we get to hang out and have dinner or something. I, I was to just going to say often. So please. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Let's definitely stay in touch. I'd love to do that, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you too.